Hi, Hannah here. If you're a long-term listener of this podcast, you'd know that I've been living in Korea for almost three years now. But lately, I've been thinking about leaving. There was a time when I was absolutely not ready to leave, when it would have felt traumatic, when I hadn't quite had my fill of what I came here for. But I've been inching towards this decision, slowly but surely, for a while now. I even have a ticket booked, though it's a flexible fare, which makes me feel more in control. I've watched countless friends leave over the past year, and I'm preparing for two more goodbyes soon. And though everyone's on a different path, with each departure, I can't help but reflect on my own time here. Though my reasons for leaving may be clear, it still feels like an enormous transition and a huge chapter of my life to close. Korea will always be here, but this Korean life, the one that I've so painstakingly built with this specific group of people, will not. I find myself walking the streets of my neighborhood, trying to commit the little details to memory, like a lover's face that you know will fade with time. Okay, that's kind of dramatic, but you know what I mean. I wonder what it will feel like to return as a tourist rather than as a resident, and whether I'll miss the everyday intimacy that I have with Seoul, that I may not have time for when I'm just visiting and running around stocking up on Korean skincare products. Actually, I'm sure I'll miss it. So this episode of Adopted Feels is about leaving Korea and transitioning back to one's adoptive country, and we found the perfect guests to talk about it. Kim Stoker first returned to live in Korea in 1995. She spent almost 20 years of her adult life there and has been based in the U.S. since 2017. She was a leading activist in ASK, Adoptee Solidarity Korea, and continues to be an advocate for adoptee rights in South Korea. Enha Lovell returned to Korea in 2007 after meeting birth family. While living in Korea, she has spent time learning Korean, working with single mothers and adoptees through Goal and Korut, and attended Hongik University for graduate school. She has a YouTube channel called The Returnees that focuses on video portraits of Korean adoptees living in their motherland, and she also practices Korean traditional painting. We threw all kinds of big, unruly questions at Stoker and Enha, and they were both so candid and generous in their replies. This is a free-flowing, meandering, deeply reflective conversation that touches on reverse culture shock, missing Korea during the pandemic, maintaining connections with Korean family, shifting identities, microaggressions experienced by adoptees within the Asian American community, and advice for adoptees planning to leave Korea. Okay, I'll go first. (laughs) (laughs) No, go ahead. Omni. That's right. (laughs) I wanted to say congratulations, Hannah, to you and Ryan for uh, what seems like quite a lot of success with your podcast. So kudos to you both. Success as in we got you on the podcast twice. Yeah. No, no, no. I think your your podcast is doing quite well. A lot of people check it out. So congratulations on that. Oh, thank you. Slightly terrifying, Mm -hmm. but thanks. So my name is Kim Stoker. I'll just get right into it. Um, Yeah, this is my second time on the podcast, but actually the first time with Hannah because uh, I was able to do it the first time with Ryan in person, which was very seems very special right now. And we were in uh, in Australia, so that was also quite nice. Um, So for me, I uh, I lived in Korea for about twenty years, and it was on and off starting in nineteen ninety five until. 2017. So 
of course that period of time is more than 20 years, but I was in graduate school for a few years. Um, but yeah, almost 20 years I spent. I think if you count the time that I lived there as a, as, as a child, as an infant, it would be 20 years. And uh, yeah, so I returned to the U.S. in 2017 in summer. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm known as Amanda Unha Lovell, but I've been going, I've been trying to switch over just to Unha Lovell lately since I got to the U.S. because it, I had, it had a bit of an identity crisis when I got here. Um, I, I was in Korea, I think, in total 13 years. I'm about to go back. Um, it's confusing because I was there for a year and then I left for a year and was back in New York and Massachusetts. So I think I was there for 13 years from 2007 to 2020. So for both of you, um, why did you decide to leave Korea? Um, and then this is a bigger question, I think. What was that like saying goodbye to Korea? Well, I'll tell you for me, um, I felt like it was a choice, but it was a choice that I um, made because of extenuating factors. So I had not been planning on leaving Korea when I left in 2017, but my father was diagnosed with terminal cancer and uh, in January 2017, and it was very unexpected and very sudden. And then he passed away three months after his diagnosis. And so I pretty much knew at that point that I was going to return to the U.S. to take care of my mother or to see that she was going to be okay. So um, it was something that it was a nobody asked me to make that decision, but I felt like it was a decision that was very extremely clear to me. And so I was teaching um, at the IWA graduate School of Translation and Interpretation at the time. And uh, the day after I taught my last class, I was on a plane back to the US. And so I had to pack up all of my stuff. I had a couple of months left on my, um, my rent and, you know, just really like sell my car. You know, I, I'd lived a very involved life and I really had to wrap it up very quickly. And so in some ways I feel like, hey, man, if you're going to do it, you, you might as well go out big and not draw, draw it out. And that's really how it was for me. And in addition, my cat died. And so that was a thing that was like, how am I going to move my cat back to the States? But then after my cat died, it was just like, boom, I'm out of here. And that's pretty much what happened. So on the one hand, it was, um, I don't know, maybe easier to have these external forces uh, drawing you back. But, I mean, was that difficult to have to, like, say goodbye to Korea in, in, a, in that short space of time? Well, you know, I don't think it's ever easy. Um, but, you know, as, as I was saying, I think for me, I'm the kind of person that if you're going to make a decision, you got to go for it. I'm not going to dawdle around and draw out something that I know is, is it's, it's something that I wanted to do. And so I was also enrolled in a low residency MFA creative writing program at the time. And so I, it made sense also just to go back and I had that as an kind of, it was sort of a way for me to 
dip my foot back into being in, in the States um, in that low residency program. So I, I feel like to some degree, I had put things in play to make it happen at some point in the near future. It happened much earlier than I had expected, though. But, you know, yeah, like I said, if I make a decision about something like that, I'm not gonna draw it out. Me, on the other hand, really drawn out decision was not ready. My I I was in a similar situation where my mom's I was worried about my mom's health. She was getting a major surgery, like a shunt for her brain put in because there's she's had too much fluid in her brain. And it was really affecting her memory and walking and things. And that it just really scared me that the thought of my mom maybe passing or just changing after the surgery. So I think that was like a, a really big factor that, that I really downplayed because I blame myself for not have staying, have just waited to stay for a bit. But I forget that that was a huge factor. And um, her surgery was actually pushed up because of the pandemic. So also the pandemic hit, and that was obviously an added stress. Um, but I had planned to move at the end of my contract at the end of February. And I had had some jobs that I really wanted that I felt like were like a next step and not teaching English. And I just like wasn't getting them. And I was really frustrated. I was frustrated with dating. I was stepped down. In my mind, I was stepped down and back from community work. So I was just kind of at this point where I was, I just felt like nothing was going forward hmm. too. I, I was very comfortable though. I was very comfortable in a lot of ways, like with my friends, my close friends. And like, I loved where I lived, but um, I just felt like I wasn't going forward and I, and maybe I couldn't go forward. And I was already like over a little over 40 and in Korea as a, female that feels like much older than it does in the US or in the West. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I totally concur with you on that. I was like having a midlife crisis as well. And also like I had a college friend of a really close friend. He was like in our friend group though, got in a car accident and died. And so it just like really, I was like already in a bit of midlife crisis and all this like threw me really full on into midlife crisis, I think. So like part of moving was like part of my midlife crisis, I think. I'm like still going through it. Yeah. Welcome to your 40s. Oh, the 40s are no joke, man. The 30s are so lovely. The 30s, when I look back at my 30s, even the dramatic parts, it's, they seem like a walk in the park. Like, how did I let that upset me? You know, is that how you feel, Stoker? This 40s thing. Oh, my 40s have sucked. Am I getting recorded? It looks like my voice is not... Yeah. My 40s sucked. This whole decade has been like an endless decade of transition, of, you know, personal, professional. It's... Yeah, my 30s were, were much more um, in my zone of life. But I'm hoping that as I go forward into the next decade, things will be better. <laughs> What were you saying that you concurred with Stoker? She brought up the topic of aging in Korea. And, you know, she's saying like as a, a woman in your 40s, it, it feels like in Korean society, 
there's really less of a place for you, especially let's say being outside of conventional marriage, conventional child rearing. And I think what you'll find is a lot of people, a lot of um, adopted Koreans who are living long-term in Korea, a lot of them are males who are married to Korean nationals who end up staying a long time. And, um, you know, you're not going to find as many women, and I probably know all of them, who have been in Korea <laughs> over 10 years who, um, you know, are not in a conventional marriage or not partnered up. And it's really, really, really difficult. And so... I feel like in the queer community, it's more okay. It's more... But you're not living, you know, if you're in the queer community, you're not living in a bubble. I mean, you still have to work. You're still engaging in Korean society at large. And that's true. You know, you that might be okay in your social life, but in your professional life? No, absolutely not. And, you know, I think people know that, especially for younger Koreans, a lot of Koreans are delaying marriage. But I'm I'm not a younger Korean. So people in my generation, I, I had friends that were... Not married, but not very many, only like a couple. Um, yeah. You know, heterosexual Korean nationals who were not married. Um, of course, you're going to find 30, 35 year olds is much more common now, but for my, my generation, no. I'm on, the, I'm on this weird cusp between Stoker and Hannah, I think. I'm on this cusp of the generations. So I get hit by both sides. Like on one on one hand, I think it's okay not to be hitched and have kids. And on the other hand, I, I feel like uh, in Korea, there's just, yeah, that pressure. In LA, no, which has been nice. A lot of my friends don't have kids. They might be partnered, but. But also professionally in Korea, I had, I had like a lot of Koreans whispering in my ear saying like, you just finished grad school. You're too old to be just starting finishing grad school officially and like yeah um what is it direct translation entering entering for entering a company they're like you're going to have superiors like much younger than you and like how are you going to handle that for me i because i'm american that doesn't bother me as much but to koreans they're like oh my gosh how how are you going to handle that but Mm -hmm. And that's a really good point on a professional level because, you know, Korea is still going to be a very hierarchical, vertical society, especially in the work environment. And, yeah, you know, those are just realities that you have to deal with. But um, it, they can be difficult, especially if you're starting something new, whereas we encounter fewer of those um, sort of that ageism in, in the U.S. Less of it anyway. I know. I was about to say there's still ageism, and I miss a bit of hierarchy. But the free for all here. Uh, Amanda, what was it like for you to um, say goodbye to Korea? I mean, was there I don't know, like a a grieving process or a, a letting go process? Oh, so you know the book "Crying in H Mart." Mm. I cried in Home Plus. I cried in Home Plus the last time I was there. Excellent. It was so embarrassing. I was like looking at cacao toiletries. You could buy a set. I did not need that. And I was like, I'm going to miss cacao. I need to buy it. I just was crying. I was literally crying in front of cacao products in Home Plus. So 
when I saw cry, the title Crying Age Mart, I was like, oh, I had the opposite experience, but interesting. Mm. I feel like I've not said goodbye. I left in such a mess. I left so many things untied and I'm about to go back and have to deal with it. And um, it was weird because it was pandemic time. So I couldn't see my closest friends. Like I think one of my friends was stuck in Australia and then was finally back. And then one of my friends went to Denmark. I considered my last birthday party as a going away party, but I didn't want to announce mm. it because I, I had been to somebody's going away party and they'd been in Korea for 10 years and it was so gutting. I was like, I cannot do a going away party like that. Like I have to just do something. Ah, uh, it was like I super know. emotional. Yeah. I, I, mm. There are many tears. It's a very emotional experience and I wasn't even the one who was leaving. Um, mm. So just in my mind, and I had close friends who knew I was leaving, who mm. went to my birthday party. I think everyone kind of knew, but I didn't make like an announcement and mm-hmm. make it an official. It was just a birthday party, jo- joint birthday party. And yeah. Stoker, did you have a goodbye party or did you announce it or you just kind of like silently slipped out? <laughs> I don't think I did not. I don't think that I did. Um, you know, like I said, everything happened really quickly um I don't think that I did I don't um, think you did. that's not that's not what I would have that's kind of not how I would have gone out anyway um just sort of you know for me as well it was always this thing you know if you if you have lived in Korea for as long as that I as I did from the age that I first moved there I was 22 when I first moved back to Korea and so it's been you know my entire adult life has really revolved about around Korea. And Mm. so leaving physically or moving to me in some ways actually didn't feel like a big deal because I have, I would say a very secure attachment to Korea. And so I knew that I would always be able to go back. I have strong relationships there that of people that will, will be there when I return. And so keeping that in mind, I felt like, you know, I can always visit. I, I will probably live there one day again. Um, but, you know, it's been four years. And I haven't been able to visit in two years because of pandemic. And um, this is the longest that I've been away from Korea ever. And so, I mean, since 1995. And I'll tell you, especially this year, man, it's hit hard. It's like I miss Korea so much. I really, mm. really miss being in Korea. Like, my, and my yeah, F4 really expired, all of my my sort of legal um, ties or legal sort of things keeping me attached have all expired. So I really feel now, like I was saying at the beginning of our podcast, that I'm really like a Wegukin now. You know, I'm a real foreigner. I'm not even, you know, I don't even have my F4 status anymore. So that really bums me out. Did you ever think of getting your dual? I have, but not at this point in time. I I, I think I probably will eventually, but not now. When I get older, past my middle ages. (laughs) In my my golden years. I definitely want to get my duel after experiencing last year in the U.S., which was so rocky. It scared the bejesus out of me. And I was like, I'm getting, you know what I need is a backup country. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Like, securely. Yeah. 
Can I ask how often both of you would return to visit the U.S. when you were living in Korea? For me, just once a year. Twice at most. When I was in grad school, it was great because I could be back for two months out of the year, like separately. That was lovely. But then after that, the last year I was there was a, l- a little rough because my work schedule, the vacation was short, but I was able to go home once, but it felt really short. And I, and I had, I think I had a bad case of homesickness in 2019, just a rocky year. And I had the short vacation. It was like bad timing for me to have a short vacation. Definitely contributed, I think, to me wanting to leave. And I, and I haven't, I've not, I've only been gone for like a year and six months or seven months, something, but it's felt like much longer than that. (laughs) But I think it's partly due to the pandemic as well and adjusting to LA, which is very different from Seoul or like an East Coast city. Like, I think I would have had a softer landing if I had landed in Boston or New York because it's more similar to Seoul. Yeah. What about you, Stoker? You said that you, you'd had a, is that right? You had a little bit of continuity because you'd started an MFA. Oh yeah, I had. Um, so I'd been going back to Los Angeles uh, starting in like winter 2015. And so that was sort of a, a way for me to kind of dip my toes back in. And I'll, ha- I'll tell you, that was more of a shock because I was in, so in this low residency program, you sort of do this like 10 day, very intensive workshop. And so that was um, probably more difficult for me going transitioning into this sort of kind of academic pro or, you know, school sort of program and um, having been out of school for so long. So that was really actually much more difficult. Um, So because I was doing that when I did permanently move back, um, it did feel like it kind of had a better awareness of of what to expect. Um, But, you know, going back to earlier, the the question, I was able to leave Korea many times. Um, I would usually go back to the States twice a year because I had a full-time job at a university for 10 years. And so that really made it financially possible and time-wise possible for me to visit my family in the U.S. regularly. Um, Mm. So, yeah, you know, having a, a stable job like that obviously made it much easier to stay in Korea that long. And Stoker, before you um, left, had you already kind of, um, like as Amanda said uh, that she did, had you already stepped back from your all of your community activity um, and leadership roles and stuff? I had. We, uh, we had our uh, – I was a representative of, of Adoptee Solidarity Korea for, for – a number of years. And um, I think it was 2014, we celebrated our 10 year anniversary. And so for me, that was, was, that was really the time that I stepped back from being actively involved in the community for 10 years. And so I was definitely um, being less, becoming less involved in the community. And part of the reason for that is I, I really wanted to see new leadership. And, and it was kind of my idea that the only way you're going to get new leadership is if you vacate. <laughs> it's like if you're still around, people are going to still rely on you to do things. If you, you've got to step down and kind of force the situation, you know, it's 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 always been an issue in our community finding people who 
want to take leadership positions who, who can for various reasons and then who also have the energy to do at the time, financial resources, all of these things. Um, and so for me, I think I, you know, I, I did my time. And so it was ready for me also to shift my attention into other things. And that part of that was my MFA program. Mm -hmm. But you stepping back, like how much did your (laughs) sort of on the horizon plan to leave Korea, how much did that factor into your stepping back? I think there was an eventual idea that I would be back in the States, not not any definitive time period at, at, at that time. But I really, at that point, was looking forward to shifting the sort of direction of my life Mm. because I also felt rather stagnant in my professional life where I was at in Korea at the time, as well as my personal life. And so I was really looking to uh, walk into the change in my life. And so I'm somebody who I don't want to wait for things to happen to me. I want to make them happen. And so part of like, I quit my full-time job. You know, yeah, I did made all these decisions that sort of I wanted to to be forced to to be in a new situation, confront new challenges, um, and sort of move out of my comfort zone. And then when something happens, you have a family situation that is completely unforeseen. I feel like, well, hey man, bring it on! It's like, you know, I'm. What can you do? You just got to face it head on. my Cran family telling me, you know, your, your grandmother doesn't recognize you and you're having trouble, trouble getting these jobs that you want. It's better for you to go to be in the U S. So they're just speaking very like logically and helpfully. Of course, that feels like a bit of a rejection as an adoptee, Mm -hmm. but it was like, I tried to meet up with them more before I left and I, got to this really good point with like my Korean family, but then I, I kind of wish I had just stayed and continued that because actually that was really the most I'd seen them probably the entire time I'd been living there. Mm. Cause I was making a concerted effort. Mm. Um, so now I had such a like really bad reverse culture shock. And I was like, I need to be able to s- still keep in touch with them. So I paid for, you know, I pay for an international plan so I can call my Kanimo like once a month and just shoot the shit in Korean. But now that I'm back in the U.S. and I've been here for the longest period I've ever been away from Korea, I think since my 20s, um, it's just I have I have like my Korean family pulling on me just in my own like heart and mind. Like I, I'm like, I want to see them, you know, and I want to keep the contact alive and like I have like this very adoptee trauma fear that I'll like lose Korean and not be able to like call my Kanimo or like that they'll change their number or something you know like so now I since I've been back here I've been feeling like oh wow I really do kind of have two families and how do I do this (laughs) and I'm always going to feel pulled in each direction how is your mother in, in Boston doing? I mean, she, they live outside of Boston. She's doing, she's doing fine now. I mean, she's just, my parents are just getting older though, you know? And my, 
But, you know, my Kunimo is getting older, too. So at some time, somebody's going to pass, and I don't know, like, what country I'll be in. You know what I mean? So, and I don't know who's going to go first. It's like you have to, like, kind of choose these things. And I'm not, I'm a secret in my, like, in my Kran family. So I don't even know if I can go to a funeral, technically. Or I, I could go, but I could have to lie and say I'm, like, a family friend. Even though I look exactly like my birth mother, but <laughs> I'm in an awkward situation. I'll just say that I'm in an awkward situation because I'm part of the family, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. But I feel a part of the family. And how long have you been in reunion? A long time, right? A long yeah. time. Since I was 27, I think. Wow. But it's always been kind of weird because I'm a part of the family, but not. I'm a, I'm a secret within the family. But the people who I keep in contact with, my like my cousins and my kanimo, like they're steady, and my other emo, it's like I feel like that's very established, and that I know Korean to a certain extent. You know, they always complain about my Korean, but I, I can understand them for the most part. One of the other questions we have is another big one. I feel like all of our questions today are actually really mammoth ones, but we're wondering in what ways did leaving impact your identities? Well, I'll tell you, you know, it's been there. I'm not going to deny that it's been really hard. And part of it is because I have been in the state of Idaho, Mm -hmm. which is a very rural state in the United States. Um, It's in the mountain West it's very white. It's very, it's one of the most conservative uh, states in the U.S. And so the social isolation that I felt here has been extremely difficult. And so I have been, I have, I was living sort of part-time in LA for a a couple of years. So that was really nice. But, um, you know, being here during the last American election cycle and just being here during the whole COVID pandemic. I live in a state where less than 50% of the people are vaccinated. People don't wear masks. Um, And it's just, I think, you know, there's this idea of like a, you know, like a racial longing. So, you know, I felt so deprived of just being able to lay my eyes on other Koreans. So every time I went to LA, you know, and all of my friends in LA are are of Korean descent for the most part, And so just being able to see them was such a salve for me after Mm -hmm. being in Idaho and just like going to K-Town in LA, you know, and just, I actually started watching K-dramas, which believe it or not, Mm -hmm. I had never, ever, ever done, ever, ever, because I was so longing to just rest my eyes on Korean faces and hear Korean you know, it was just like this very intense longing that I had that was just, just like, I missed just being with, just being surrounded by Koreans, you know, it was like something that I took, I don't, I don't think I ever took it for granted, but not having it and being in like this literal desert, I'm in the high desert, you know, of like whiteness, it was tough. And the sounds of soul, just sometimes if when I've been on the phone or with somebody and I could hear the sounds of soul in the background, like motorbikes, like people like mumbling and crayon, just the sounds of soul. I miss, sorry, it's whole. I don't say, I just say soul. Okay. But I'm, I, I had such severe reverse culture shock. I'm in a very Mexican 
area, which is nice because they have the feeling of Koreans, like the family feeling and that kind of tongue. But part of, I think, my reverse culture shock was like the physical, like just not having anyone around in my neighborhood who was Korean was really shocking. But, you know, all of my friends here are Asian American. But it's been a little, it's been rough because some of them say little microaggressions about saying, well, I didn't grow up with white people and they're like this and you're like this. And I'm like, I was like, oh my God, where in my community, we know not to say things like that, you know, like, <laughs> and I'm getting this from Asian Americans, you know, like my real, some of my really close friends. And I was just like, I was like, oh my God, I'm just in this completely different environment where people don't know how to talk about adoption mm. and like know what sensitivities are and are aware of them. Like, I feel like we're so careful in, in Korea and, and know what might trigger somebody. We, you know, like, it's just this, it's so easy. I, I really miss that. And I have some adoptee friends here. And like, when I'm around them, I'm like, oh my God, I can like sigh, re like breath of relief because even around my Asian American friends, like they're just so American to me. And I've just grown up in this very like international community. You know, I say like straight away and cue and like, I think in kilometers and meters still like it's, it's, I don't know what Fahrenheit is anymore. Um, they're just like all these little things that I have really noticed since I've been back. And there's so much diversity within the Asian American community. Like I've learned a lot about like my Taiwanese friends culture, like Vietnamese. And like, I was, I was just like, oh, wow, I really, I forgot how much diversity there is in being Asian American, which I don't relate to that because I don't think of myself as pan-Asian. I didn't have that non-adopted Asian American experience. So I struggle even with like that terminology. I'm like, I know I'm Korean and I know I'm adopted. I know I have I grew up in the US. I'm American in these ways. And then I know I'm Korean in these ways. So, but it's very different from a lot of people around me. It's very difficult to explain to people because it's not in their wheelhouse of experience. Yeah. Like they can kind of extrapolate from the way they grew up and like, I am in the club, this club of Asian Americans, I'm included, but I, I really feel the differences since I'm so used to being in like the adoptee community in Seoul. Yeah, I can totally understand that too, because I, I don't, you know, I missed out on the whole Asian American um, sort of experience as well. And I'm not even sure sometimes that I identify as that. And for me, because um, I find I get along much better with people who have experience living abroad and most of my social network either consists of people who were born outside of the u.s or um people who have lived outside of the u.s and i really don't i really have very little experience now um when i with meeting making new friends um with sort of americans who have never whether they they're asian americans or not who have never lived outside of the u.s i just have nothing in common with those people. And so, and, and almost very little interest as well. So all the, the people that I've met of all are, have very international backgrounds and then you don't have to explain a lot of stuff. It's like, man, I'm too old to be dealing with all that 
internalized whiteness from all the Asian Americans out there. I'm not, no, no, no. no. I was like, that was like one of the things I actually undid and dealt with while I was living there. Exactly. I I do not need to deal with that shit in my life. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to go back in in any way, shape or form. Mm, That's so interesting. And there's the language thing too. Like I, I really miss speaking in Korean and hearing Korean. And I never thought I would ever see that because, <laughs> you know, you get so much shit in Korea for like, oh, your Korean's real bad. It's real bad. But That's in LA, they don't care. They're fine in LA, that. it's nice because they switch. They're like, oh, all these Asian American, Korean Americans who can't speak Korean that well, they'll just switch for you. And it's so cute. Yeah, K-Town is really lovely here. It's so nice. It's really helped my self-esteem, actually, not to be criticized for my career <laughs> in the U.S. I like I miss it, but I, I, I miss speaking it and hearing it, but I don't get any. Um, yeah, they don't judge you in K-Town. They're just, they're, they're like, think it's lovely and adorable. I don't, I don't even think adorable. I think they're just, it's super normal for them to encounter Korean Americans whose Korean is... Well, they get it because their kids are in the same situation. They've raised their kids there. They know how it is. Yeah, there, there's just no, like, shaming or looking down on on you if you, like, have to switch into English for or, like, throw in some English words, yeah. Do either of you have any advice or tips to offer um, other adoptees who um, might be preparing to make a transition you know, back to their adoptive countries? Um, don't move during a pandemic. <laughs> a one. That's, that's such a big question. There's so many sides to it. There's like the financial side. Like I really considered where I had old friends. So it would be a softer landing like I wouldn't have to be making all new friends, you know, it was just kind of a reunion reconnection with old ones, but it's, it's not been easy though, because, you know, we all change our, and like, they've all grown up in the professionally and personally in the U S like we're at very different stages and their outlook is very different from mine. You know, I would say to people that are getting ready to move is Korea is always going to be there. You don't have to, Aww. You're not necessarily giving something up. I think that this, you know, to, to sort of open open your thoughts to having, you can have it, you can have it both ways. You can have it always. It's not as if you have to choose one country or one family over another family or something. I think, you know, if you have, I think the means to live in Korea and you have the means to leave Korea when you want and you have somewhere to go back to, it's a kind of... Um, you know, it's a kind of privilege for sure. Um, but Korea is always going to be there. And I think that uh, knowing that for me made leaving, uh, moving out much easier because I just felt like I really wanted to keep things into a larger perspective uh, in life. And so, you know, when, when you make such a big transition in your life, you have to really focus on the the sort of macro, the micro of like, getting rid of your stuff, selling, you know, getting rid of your, your belongings, your apartment, your job, taking care of your pension, doing all of these things, getting your phone turned off, getting your cable turned mm-hmm. off, all this stuff, right? 
that really and then that really helped it's a big deal right and then you know then you look at your life ahead of where you're going and just to keep it in perspective that you can hopefully you might you have the means to return if you need to but Korea is always going to be there you can visit you're going to have friends and the ties that you've that you've um, made and it's in the time that you've spent in Korea has been so important for your personal development Um, and we all know that living in Korea is really difficult but I think um, if we ever want to have any kind of personal growth, we have to do things that are difficult. And um, just keep in mind that, you know, hopefully life is long and um, you can get some perspective that it's not like the end. You know, there's going to be more opportunities wherever it is that you're going. I was just wondering... Um... This is just something that I've been thinking about lately. But, you know, so even though, like, after you moved back, um, you had times where you really missed Korea uh, or really missed the the adoptee community and the, um, yeah, the understanding and sensitivities that we have as adoptees towards each other. Um, I was wondering whether there's ever also been, like, a sense of kind of, feeling free for a while from your whole like adopted identity like in a positive way that uh I don't know that you have an opportunity to explore again who you are um outside of that whole thing for me yes because like I said my like my art school friends my friends from my 20s are all in LA so I kind of got to go back to that it, it was weird. It was like, it's been like a time warp in a way, but they're all much further along now. When we get together, we don't talk about adoption. I mean, not that adoptees do that. I, you know, adoptees don't always talk adop- about adoption all the time either, but it's just has been being around these people who knew me before I even went to Korea, you know, and that's kind of grounding and interesting to be around and those are like 20 year friendships Mm. that have that I still have that despite age and like me not always being here it's still strong thank god for those kinds of friendships huh (laughs) they're rare but yeah well I think when I went into uh my writing program I really wanted to get away from the whole adoptee identity sort of thing um but, you know, at the end of the day, you can't really get away from it. So you just got to it how it is. Oh, so shit. It is a part of who you are. And so, yeah. even though I tried to sort of get away from that, you just can't do it. But I will say something that I, that I wanted to say, and Amanda kind of <laughs> did touch on this as well, is um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this phenomenon where they say that immigrant communities are uh, a kind of time capsule or they're they're the sort of fixed thing in time of of when they left their their countries um they sort of that's why they say like the korean american community in los angeles for example is a certain way or they're very conservative or something like that right they left during the park regime a lot of them but um for me i really felt i feel that acutely so because i left in 1995 I mean, that's a long ass time ago. A lot of, I mean, there's people listening to this podcast that were not even born in 1995. I mean, <laughs> dude, that was, you know, 
30 years ago, right? 95, more than 30 years ago? No. Oh. <laughs> anyway, it was a long time ago. And so when I think about, you know, me, I, <clears throat> I left America before 9-11, Okay, so you're thinking about these huge cultural shifts. And so for me, being in my mid 40s, when I came back, I really felt like I was like 25. And so I felt and I still feel like that to some degree, you know, because I'm not married, I don't have children, I don't have a sort of, quote, unquote, profession. And so I really feel like I sometimes I feel like I've regressed or that I have some sort of arrested development or something. And it's really hard to deal with. And then a lot of people, because I'm meeting a lot of white people um, in Idaho anyway, they, they assume I'm a lot younger than I am. And so I have this fantasy that I could whoosh, slice off like a good 12 years and nobody would know the difference. I'd be like, Hey man, I'm, you know, nobody would know. No one would question me. Be like, hey, I can get like 12, back, 12 years back on my life. And, but then I think, you know, you should just accept your age. But I tell you, I feel super immature. I feel very, very immature. And is there like a little <laughs> tiny bit of enjoyment in that? or? Well, I do accept that that's a part of my personality. <laughs> but when it comes to other things, like especially when someone does learn your age, and then it's 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 kind of like... I don't know. I, I could be projecting, but it, I don't know. It's just, I, I haven't, um, you know, I just, I've never lived a conventional life. And sometimes it's hard for me to actually ex embrace that because I'm still a product of the societies that I was, you know, raised in and have lived in. And so it's not always easy to, uh, to have that sort of confidence and, and, to, to be able to not feel the pressure of the society, the conventions of the society that you live in. And so I definitely feel that. Mm. Me too, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I was saying to my therapist, I was like, oh, sometimes I just wish I could be like, just like a regular person who like settled down with some white person back in Melbourne and just, you know, like I just stayed there. No, I just, visit, no, no, I just visited Korea like once in a while and that was enough. Like why do I have to go so far down the rabbit hole, you know, like, and she was just like, oh, you, Hannah, you just don't strike me as a conventional person. I don't think you ever were. I was like, oh, damn it. <laughs> you know, it can be really difficult to accept yourself in that way. Yeah. I say that to my therapist every time as well. <laughs> I feel very behind people my age. You know, my my friends here, we all went to good schools and they, they have very good careers. Well, I mean, but by living in Korea, obviously, like you went on a different track for like 10 plus years um, and you, you grew and developed in different ways that, yeah, most people can't really understand. So, I feel like I'm a slightly different version of myself in the U.S. than I am in Korea. Like, this is American Amanda. This is American Unha. I mean, that's why I was start. I, that's why I was ha like wanting to change my name to Unha because I was like, I think I felt like I was becoming too American. And then I think in Korea, I'm a more Korean version of myself. You know, the way I hold my body, the way I speak, it's just. I, I try to blend in there. So I, I think I'm slightly, not hugely different versions, but slight, I feel slight difference in myself. Like when I'm in 
the U.S. waters versus the Korean waters. But, you know, I think we're all different versions of ourselves. You know, you have a public persona, you've got a private persona. And I think adoptees are very yeah. adept at having these these multipl- multiplicities of identities. And I think that that's, you know, in my view in life, it's like there's, a, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not as if I have one self and that one self is something very stable. You know, I have different selves. I think we all have different selves and they come out in different interactions with people. The, the self that I'm you're yeah. seeing right now is not the self that I'm necessarily going to portray to my family or to, you know, it's just, right. that's, I think everybody operates in that way, but maybe as an adoptee, we have to have a heightened awareness of the multiplicities of our identities in, in various ways. So, you know, it's, it's really useful, I think, to be an adopted person who has the inclination to be thoughtful and examining of your life, because there are things that are very, uh, undeniable that are in your face. They're like existential things that every human has to deal with. But I think for us, if we're willing to confront these things, it gives us a, a very good opportunity to grow as a human and, and to increase our empathy for others and um, to really understand, you know, our humanity and why we do the things that we do for us. I think there are so many things that are so in your face that you can't escape. And in, in, you might say, oh, on one hand, on one hand, it makes it difficult, more difficult. But on the other hand, in some ways, it makes it more easy because these things are so clear for us, the, the, the challenges that we confront in life. So it, I, I'd like to see, you know, lots of opportunities for us as I laugh. <laughs> <laughs> you got to face it on, head on, man. That's all I can say. Uh, I'm just finding all of this very difficult. I mean, I'm even, I'm not sure I'm making the right decision by going back, you know. Why, why would it be a wrong decision? What, why, what, what's, why is that, what decisions are wrong? I have a thing about wrong decisions. And I know in psychology, people point out that it's because of being an adoptee, it's because of the decision your family made back in the day. Mm -hmm. I'm very, I've always been very decision, uh, freak out phobic. And I always feel like I'm making the wrong decision or I watched the movie. Do you know the movie sliding doors with Gwyneth Paltrow? It's like from the nineties. It's basically like this, there's this one turning point and then the movie splits into like, if she had had, hadn't missed the subway terrifying to me that that movie that all of this is just like my biggest fear come true but then there's a part when it converges again and so that's interesting but um because you know we could have stayed in korea and we would have been this other version but that wasn't your decision whereas now you have your own agency to make your own decision so there's no wrong decision and i'm so scared and maybe if you don't make mistakes in life you don't learn and you don't grow you know, like if everyone just, if everything is yeah, I don't well. Like, I am very much a perfectionist. I, I don't like, my moon is in Virgo. Uh, I very much do not, I am a perfectionist. And I do not like mistakes. Like, I mean, tell me about it. Like all my freaking signs are in Virgo pretty much. But, um, so. <laughs> oh, that makes a lot of sense, oh, Don't, don't say that. Cry. Oh, anyway. But it's like, I mean, it's the same in any in art right in any creative practice like you learn just by like making a bunch of mistakes and failing a bunch of times right 
I'm also like, there are parts of art and art history where it's very process oriented process. It's all about process, process, process. I, I, all the times in art history class when we were going out over that, I was like, mm, yeah, I do not like this era right now. I'm like, can we just move on? Because I like getting to the end. I like when the project's finished, when you have the final thing. That's part mm, of my personality. The happy ending at the end of the romantic comedy. <laughs> yeah, I just want the happy ending yeah. of, the, of the whatever it is. Stoker, I just have one last question for you before our round of question segment. Um, was there a point um, after you moved back where you felt like, I don't know, more settled back in the US, like you had like both feet planted in one spot? Because I imagine, you know, there's obviously this transition period uh, and culture shock and, um, you know, you have to build a, a new life again. But then, like, after all of that, did you get to a place where I, I just imagine it, it, it could be nice to, to feel like, okay, I'm here now, I'm fully here now, I'm fully, like, present in this place, um, and I'm not so in between. I would say yes and no to that. So I think from the beginning when I returned, I knew that I was here sort of fully. But um, so I don't actually feel like I'm in between. But for me, the instability that I felt since I've been here is because so I came back to um, sort of look after my mother after my father passed away. And then so for like a year, I was living with her full time. And then I, you know, I went back to Korea. I went, I traveled, I traveled a lot. I did all these other things. And then I, it was just like, oh, well, things are okay. So I'm going to move. And I moved to LA. Mm. And um, two months after I moved to LA, my mother was in the hospital. And so since then, my, my family situation, my living situation has just been not stable. And so now after I left LA in at the beginning of this year, and then I'm back full time living in my mother's house. I'm not sort of taking care of her per se, and yet I am. I'm, I am, and I'm not. And so um, it's it's something that for me, it's a decision that I would make again every single time to be close and to be available for her when she needs me. Even though my personal life and my professional life have been unstable as a result. All right. Yeah, well, we do this random question segment. Um, just one thing that you really miss about Korea. The food. The food and accessibility, but that's Seoul. That's yeah. everything. You walk out everything's there. I mean, even delivery, everything, everything's very fast. I miss being around Korean people. I miss being in a place where Korean being Korean is normal. Mm. And I'm part of the majority in terms of my race and my ethnic identity. Next one. What would you write for Seoul's Tinder profile description? <laughs> Tinder. Oh my God. Seoul. 50 kilos, weight 50 kilos, uh, drug of choice. I, I'm not on Tinder. Drug of choice, alcohol, soju, uh, makoli. Um, help me, Stoker. 
I, I know nothing about Tinder, so I can't help you. Oh. What, what are, what are, yeah, what's the list? What do you have to write in the profile for Tinder? I, me too. I don't. I stayed away from the app. I think it should say something like, slip me some soju and I'm easy. Yeah. I think it's definitely an easy city. Yeah. Easy, kind of fun. Yeah. But don't ask me for Cheap. commitment. Mm, yeah. Oh. Yeah, I think it's that it's that not kind of profile. For, not looking for anything serious. Yeah. <laughs> what age would you give it as well? My thirties are so great. So you're thinking of the details, Amanda. You're totally into Twitter. The first thing you wanted wow. to put on was your weight. Soulsweet. <laughs> Soulsweet. Well, soul is like that. Soul superficial like that. Oh, yeah. It probably would have like height and weight or something. Height, 180 centimeters. And 50 kilograms? I don't think so. (laughs) I don't know what kind of person you're thinking of, dude, but. That's like model. Female model. Uh... Next question Best K drama. I know you've been watching them. Well, you know, I have become a huge fan of Kim So-hyung. And so she has a great drama from like two years ago called Nobody Knows. I've never heard of that. She plays a detective. Um, it's Amudo Morunda. And uh, you can watch it if you if you have like Rakuten Wiki or something like that. Um, but it's really good. Mm. It's not a, it's not a, it's kind of a mystery, but it's, it's not like a mellow. It's not like a makchang kind of thing. And she's in Sky Castle, which also was a huge hit, and it's very good. Oh. Mm. I actually lied before and haven't been watching K dramas. <laughs> I I almost was brought to it though because I missed hearing Koran so much, but I just reverted to YouTube channels and but I almost got like a translation editing job about Squid Game. Oh. So I feel like I should watch that one at least. And all of the controversy about the translation is interesting um, because I used to do some translation. um, So I feel like I should watch it. Did you guys watch that? Yeah. Oh, Oh, I I haven't. haven't. No. Is it worth watching? You know, I ask people like, you know, in a very straightforward way, like, is this worth watching? And they they pause and they're like, "Mm, actually... Yeah, so what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Like, it's entertaining. Yeah, (laughs) I think I want something to be well written, well acted, with a little bit of heart. Yeah, I think the acting is super (laughs) uneven. Mm -hmm. I think that um, the the I'm not really I'm not into ultra violence Mm -hmm. um, or hyper stylized violence, so I did not like that. Um, But for me, because I like to sort of I like to be up, up on what people are talking about. So it's a, it's an, it's a quick watch. I mean, what are there, eight episodes or something like that? It's like, it's not a huge time commitment. Okay, this is the final question. It's, it's actually for Stoker. Um, Stoker, because, you know, you're talking about, like, just, like, facing things head on and just, like, being decisive. And so we're wondering, are you a fire sign? No. 
Oh, I'm not. Oh, what are you? Oh, please, please tell us about your chart. Oh no! Now you've got to tell me. What do you think? I'm not a fire sign, so you guys guess. Oh, yes, yes. But do you have fire placements in your chart? I think not. Hmm. I would think you're a Scorpio, but is that fire? Yeah. What? What's a fire? Yeah, I think that I'm was Scorpio. What are you trying to say, Amanda? <laughs> Don't they? They've got attitude. They're, de- they're decisive. Yeah. Okay. Now I have no idea. But you got to guess. So clearly, okay. Get into that man. All right. All right. Um, <laughs> I feel like you're also kind of quirky in a good way. Like, so like, maybe like, um, <laughs> like maybe like an Aquarius or I. I'm just guessing now. I please. <laughs> Believe me. What do you think, Ryan? I I really don't know much about the 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 signs are all Hannah's territory. I am I'm an air sign, so you might think okay. that I am a. Let's just say I'm very adaptable, as the air signs are. Gemini. No one wants well, to be a Gemini. What's the other one? <laughs> Gemini, Aquarius, and um. I'm a, I'm a, so importantly, I'm a Libra, but I'm a September Libra because I think mm. there's a distinction. A I am not an October Libra. I'm a September Libra. Mm. Ah, but you seem like way too decisive for a Libra. Right? I'm a September Libra. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> I'm closer to the Virgo side. I'm closer to uh, the Virgo side. Oh. That's the key. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Adopted Feels Podcast. We're also on Twitter at Adopted Feels. And if you like what you hear, please recommend us to your friends and leave us a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Hannah, are you a rat? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You are? Okay. Do I seem like one? Well, I'm a rat as well. So I, oh. I figured you're, you're oh. in my alternative life, we're the same age. Mm, mm. I have, um, I mean, you probably, oh, I can't say that because then I'll be telling everyone her age. My, <laughs> my, I have a, another dear rat Oni friend. Yeah. <laughs> Gee, I think I might know who you're talking about. <laughs> I, I, I feel well. like, um, yeah. Tell this, her I said hi. <laughs> I feel this like rat solidarity, like rat kind of kinship with, with her. <laughs> there you go. Aww. <laughs>